Hi, this is Better Red Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today, at long last, we are going to be talking about Ulysses, which is James Joyce's 1922 novel about um, Dublin? <laughs> uh, father's son's Homer. <laughs> Definitely about rubbing one out. Um, Ireland. It's about a lot of things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, why Ulysses? Katie? Uh, Why Ulysses? Well, I would never, ever, ever have agreed to read this if it were not Pete Buttigieg's presidential (laughs) candidate's alleged favorite book. Yes. Okay. And so never in my life did I think I would want to and choose to actively decide to read a billion pages written by a dead Irish pervert to like own the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. But that's how weird shit has gotten. Yeah. So I want to read this because I wanted to see if it could possibly be Mayor Pete's favorite book. And there is absolutely no goddamn way. It may be his favorite book to do something with, but it is not read. <laughs> it absolutely isn't because it can't be. Because that would be like saying that having diarrhea is your favorite way to take a shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the- it's impossible. So, and all, and speaking of diarrhea, I do like poop jokes. So I was looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, I also have been, it's been on my calendar for so long and I never do it. I've been meaning and meaning and meaning to take a super long bus ride where a guy with like 45 concussions who did 10 dump trucks <laughs> full of cocaine just didn't stop talking. <laughs> and so now I can check that off because I feel like I've had the equivalent experience. Yeah. Okay, I, I, yeah. I mean, I will note because I feel it's important that it is also Jeremy Corbyn's favorite book. So there. Well, okay. it's not his favorite uh, book either. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, yeah, I know that that's, that's very fair. Um, yeah. And I, uh, I also uh, wanted to read this primarily to own, to own Mayor Pete. Um, getting, and, and also like, look, it is not James Joyce's fault. Uh, Mayor Pete is not James Joyce's fault. Uh, but, but I do think <laughs> He's that been that, dead a long time. He has been. Um, and, and, but I do think that that does get to some, like uh, some hesitance that I've had about it, which is that, um, you know, it, like you, it's one of those things that people say hey, that it's their favorite thing. And you're like, you're just trying to seem fancy right, right. now. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, but, you're but a liar. Do, yeah. But, but uh, yes, exactly. But, but I don't, I mean, again, it's like, I don't think it is, it is not usually fair to hold stands against the 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 object of the study. Um, I mean, like, look, maggot chuds. Yes, it's totally fair. <laughs> the object and the and the maggot chud are the same. But the, the, I, this is not right. The, anyone not who fair. loves Anne Rand, like, it's yes. Anne Rand's fault. Totally, exactly. So you are all. You're both proving you're you're proving the opposite point here. It is totally <laughs> James Mayor Pete. Well, James okay. Joyce is responsible for Mayor Pete. Uh, well, we sh- we shall see. But um, dig him up and let's call into account. <laughs> It's not. It's not uh, Franz Kafka's point, part, like fault that Derrida writes about him. Right. No, it I, is I, though. It's not Herman Melville's fault that Zizek writes about him. How about that? 
Yeah, personal. I, I, you know what? Melville has done enough good that he can bear the responsibility. <laughs> so yes, live I'm, I'm, yeah. uh, it no, doesn't that even make sense. Does Zizek burn in what is now like twelve episodes? I feel I, like we have failed. We have really pumped the brakes on yeah, Slavoj over failed, here. So sorry for that. Um, what are we doing? No, but yeah. <laughs> But like, yeah, but but this was a book also. It's like I hadn't read it and it's like I really should read it at some point. Like, hey, man, I tried in college. There was like a Ulysses and we'll also read the Odyssey class. And I went on the first day and there were like 50 people in the seminar room. And the professor was like, oh, like, if you want to be in the class, like, send an application for why. And it's like, no, I'm not doing that. I tried. But, you know, no. um, and I'm going to sign up for some, like, uh, 18th century literature class with six people in it. Um, but, yeah, but I, you know, I, I was always, I guess, looking for some way to make myself reading this and holding myself accountable to you guys uh, is getting it done. Um, so so I'm, I'm happy yeah. for that. It helps to have your feet to the fire with that. Ulysses. It's it long. Does. It does. Um and, you know, like, I I will absolutely say at the outset that I am finding this a really frustrating read. I'm, I'm about halfway through at this point. Um, I, I do kind of feel like I'm getting the big picture stuff for the most part, but there are, like, tons of pages where I'm just like, I, I am lost. Um, and I think that is partly an intended effect, and it's also partly me being dumb. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, like, working some of that stuff out with you guys. But I do think it's really interesting formally, um, and, and there's a lot that I do really like. Um, sometimes it's funny as fuck. Like, I think this line uh, that, that introduces Leopold Bloom uh, in, in, in uh, chapter four, Mr. Leopold Bloom ate with gusto the inner organs of beasts and fowls. Um, I think that is just like a hilarious way of introducing any character, particularly this thing that's like kind of riffing off like the form of an epic hero um, in some weird ways. Um, and, and I'm, I'm super into the historicity of it. Like this is written right in the middle of like the Irish independence struggle, which I think is kind of crazy given its sort of formal weirdness. Um, and also this is apparently just a thing I'm doing this year, uh, teaching really dense reworkings of Ulysses. Like I taught or, or thinking about, I, I taught, um, or the Odyssey rather, um, I taught, uh, Derek Walcott's Omeros, which is this amazing poem. Um, and only, I think slightly less like elusive than, Ulysses. So I guess this is just what I've decided to do to myself this year. <laughs> You're really a brave man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am not teaching anything this year that I have not taught before because I'm lazy. <laughs> uh, but I'm excited anyway. So um, I love this book. I'm the guy here. I'm the stan. I apologize. I'm coming out in favor. Um, no, I know. Cry me a river. Uh, so I'd I, love I love this book because it is fucking out there. And sometimes you get into this weird meditative zone when you read it, where you're just like, you're in a word bath. You're not always understanding what's going on. And it's not, it's like, it's referential. It's metonymic more than metaphorical into it. So in general, we already know that I'm a geek for modernist fiction, although I don't actually write on it very much. Um, this is the sort of high modernist exemplar. Uh, when people talked about reading it in my literary background, like when I was in college, um, all I heard about was like, oh, it's so long. It's so difficult. It's only for smart people. And then graduate school, everyone who ever brought it up was an insufferable asshole who inevitably also had strong opinions about Heidegger, which I yeah. feel like told told tells me things about the state of your soul. <laughs> yep. And 
I was like, if if those are your things, then no, thank you. Um, but then, <laughs> as sometimes happens, like once I read it, I experienced it quite differently. Like literally no one ever told me that it was funny ever. And no one said to me in advance, like, you will like this book because there are a bunch of boners in it. Mm-hmm. And you will love Leopold Bloom so much. Also true. Uh, also the name of the Gene Wilder character in the Mel Brooks movie of the producers, which I have never figured out. That's a reference that is right. completely opaque to me. And I'm still like, wow. I, I always forget that. That's right. Isn't that weird? It's really weird. It's weird really spot. weird. <laughs> Love it though. Um, and even though Stephen Dedalus is a fuck boy, I also like him and I like his broody sad boy energy. And I think that if both of you read it again in a stonier frame of mind, that you'll like it a little bit more because it's like, just live in the word bath and it's gorgeous and lovely. But I could be wrong because I believe that your favorite literary themes are copious weeping and endless toil. Respectively. And, and Jesus Christ. <laughs> copious weeping and Jesus Christ in your case are a married couple. <laughs> For the record, I only think Robinson Crusoe is interesting to talk about because it's so fucked up. I don't think it's like good. You know? <laughs> do think it's good. You do. All right, fine. Also, maybe. you like Thank books you. about toil. Yeah, yeah fair. Okay. Yeah. Because, the, because of the doctrinaire Marxism. Yes, exactly. Yes, that, exactly. Which with some kind of weird latent strain of the Protestant work ethic, which I'm not happy about. Uh, but no, like, like I mean, you like I, we all have mentioned this phenomenon, though. Like, like that, that, like Jackass. He's like, yeah, like um, Ulysses is my favorite book. It's like, oh, fuck off, you know. I mean, like, we, yeah, we, we yeah, all yeah. know who that guy in a graduate classroom is, and that guy sucks. But again, I'm going to try real hard to not hold that against Ulysses itself. I mean, if somebody said. What Katie has said that Moby Dick was their favorite book, I'd be like, I don't know, man. Yeah, but then you read Moby Dick and you're like, oh, but this is actually fucking good as shit. Totally, (laughs) yeah. But that's how I felt about Ulysses, too. I was like, this is good as shit. It's not their fault. No, I I, I definitely hear what you're saying on that. I think we should should talk about this. I think we should talk about this later because I really want to know, like, I have no human emotion towards Ulysses. But Moby Dick is like, hell yeah. Everybody has a fucking white whale. <laughs> I accept that everyone has a white whale. I just also think that everyone has a home that they have to get to. <laughs> so today we are talking about um, the form and structure and narrative technologies of the book. I, we really want to get to why it's so difficult, but also why sometimes people like it. We also talk a lot about its illusions and what a person benefits from reading before you look at it. Um, how it doesn't make you a dummy if you don't get it. And we talk a bit about Irish nationalism, Irish history, and the historical moment of this book's publication. Um, Okay, I am going to do the context for this. So uh, I think people, scholars, there's a million of them, think that it's important that Joyce wrote this while he was living abroad, which he actually did for most of his adult life. Um, And this is sort of a thing with modernists, as we know, that they hung out a lot in Paris or in other places and wrote about their hometowns. So like Hemingway, who we discussed on our episode on This One Also Rises, 
Joyce hung out a lot at Gertrude Stein and Alice P. Toklas's Paris Salon, where people talk about books and paintings and stuff. Um, I don't know because I don't have the historical evidence that he could outdrink Hemingway, but I would state that it is possible, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, if I were to order them with a gun to my head, I would probably go from least drunk to most Scott Fitzgerald, James Joyce, Ernest Hemingway. I mean, a, a group in which Scott Fitzgerald is the least drunk is, wow. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Right. That's what I'm Elite saying. Elite tier. Elite tier. I also think that part of my reaction to that is that, like, Scott Fitzgerald does not seem like a fun drunk to me. No, no, not at all. Like, And James of- Joyce feels like, yeah, I want to go party with you. No, I, you're right. I actually think like uh, uh, very three different kinds of drunks. Like, yes, I would totally get drunk with James Joyce. Scott Fitzgerald is the kind of like scary, but because like I don't know what's going to happen with this guy kind of drunk. And Hemingway is like, he's going to get drunk and we're going to get into a fight. You know, he's like, gonna punch a yes. bunch of people. Yes. Yeah. He's not gonna punch anyone. It's gonna be a shoving match at best. Yeah, yeah. Fine. You're but- actually in the most physical danger with Fitzgerald because he is definitely going to like fuck someone up with an empty champagne bottle and you just yeah. don't know who. Well, I think he's he's gonna like fall himself onto a champagne bottle and end up fucking himself. You know, like he like yeah. Scott Fitzgerald's that kind of drug. He's he, like I think he could also yell at somebody and be like, back me up, bro. And I'm going to be like, no, thank you. (laughs) I did not start this fight. Yes. (laughs) I have a wife to have committed. Uh, I'm busy. Uh, Okay. So Ulysses was initially published in Serial in the Little Review magazine novels. Um, The Little Review was this wonderful little magazine that only a few people have talked about in scholarship. It's an avant-garde journal of the Chicago literary renaissance of the early 20th century. Um, I am interested in sort of Chicago as a as a literary site, and so I think people kind of don't know that. But uh, its editor was the utterly inimitable Margaret Anderson, a personal hero, who had a particularly uncanny eye for the kind of modernist experimentation that would now, then, later, come to dominate the literary canon. So, for example, the 1923 issue called Exiles included some writing from Hemingway, from Gertrude Stein, from H.D., and some art by Fernand Langer and Jean Cocteau. Um, She's also an anarchist sympathizer. And so in one of the very first issues in 1914, she published an essay called The Challenge of Emma Goldman, which was not a challenge to Emma Goldman. uh, And she, Margaret Anderson, wrote approvingly of the Elimination of private property. Stan. And total Stan, right? (laughs) Like, she's a Chicago person. She had a little magazine, which I think is dope because they're really hard to sustain. And also, anarchy. (laughs) It's all good stuff. A big favorite. Um, So the magazine published selections from Ulysses, and that uh, those publications were very famously prosecuted under the Comstock Act, which is a, a highly far-reaching 18 law that um, (laughs) prevented mailing obscene material. Just dub in 1893. Is it? 1893? No, I don't know. No, I don't know. I I actually don't know. In my mind, it's 1887, but that's like, it would be very me to just remember something and confidently say that out loud, only for it to be utterly wrong. I got my 
pocket computer here. Cool. Okay. Your iPod? I, I know off the top of my head that the Townsend Act was le- lead, paper, paint, glass, tea. <laughs> it's March what? 3rd, 1873. Okay, so I was only f- – what? Oh, I was pretty far off. Anyway. Uh, and so when I say it prevented uh, <laughs> obscene material in the mail, that's like – everything. That's what I mean by far-reaching is that there had been some advertisements, again, in magazines, usually women's magazines, for um, birth control devices Mm -hmm. and French letters, and those were all burned. So, again, it's like it's this huge range of material that could be banned under the Comstock Act, which – and so the ban on Ulysses was upheld. It was um, – Margaret Anderson and Jane Heap lost this case. And then um, people burned it all the time when people tried to mail it to each other, which is like, it's just, I don't know. I find that remarkably silly in the sense that like, what is this book going to do to people? No, It's going to make them like masturbate? Yeah. Not, no, it is. No way. I know. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, yes. I mean, there is lots, there is lots of like, ooh, dirty stuff in it, but it is like so like a high literary stream of consciousness. It's like, I, I don't know. Anyway. I know. It's, I, again, actually, I'm very I agree proud with of the that. Townsend Act. I, I, now I agree with it because if you are getting horny over this, you are deranged and it should be burned <laughs> to prevent any of that occurrence. Right. Okay. So, yeah, I see. So, right. So, if that, yeah, <laughs> it, it is, it is an act to protect a very specific kind of deranged <laughs> person. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> well, but like, I don't think you're in favor of like two radical women publishing this tiny little journal and being like, almost bankrupted by a trial oh no i absolutely am i've been fully <laughs> radicalized by ha- the experience of having to read ulysses reactionary so I, yes, now oh, okay, I, okay. I have every bad opinion you could possibly now, imagine now. is now the podcast reactionary <laughs> yeah oh. check out my youtube channel it's a trip i am so glad to have finally a reactionary <laughs> yeah we podcast. don't have enough of those in public discourse yeah right uh <laughs> I mean, and people have said like some incredibly funny things about Ulysses. That's another thing is that like there are actually funny things that people have said about mm-hmm. it. Um, Virginia Woolf thought she had never read anything more boring. <laughs> Yay. Uh, and never did a book so bore me, she wrote. Mm-hmm. And even yes, though thank you. I love Virginia Woolf, I just happen, I happen to think she's wrong. <laughs> Um, because we know that I love Joyce. Uh, also he's a mensch. I find him like a fun dude. Yeah, yeah, me uh, too. I I think he would be fun to drink with if he didn't say anything. <sighs> My God, do you hate fun? You hate fun, don't you? <laughs> I love fun, and this is not it, sweet sweetie pie, honey bunch. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Um, the other thing that she said, which again, I think that like Katie, you would agree with this is that Ulysses was a a memorable catastrophe, immense and daring, terrific and disaster. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll, I will endorse that point. Okay. I thought you would like be not that mad about living in Virginia Woolf's consciousness. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. It's great. Um, okay. So after the obscenity trial, it was then published in complete form in Paris because of, you know, the French, um, by Sylvia Beach of Shakespeare and Co. in 1922. So people 
yell at each other a lot about the varying editions because throughout his life, Joyce kept making corrections to it, which is very annoying. And I think that the question of multiple editions is kind of boring, unless you're an academic. Sorry. Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) With the exception of like translation, I get why people care about that. But like, otherwise, I feel like, yeah, that's a specialist problem. Right. Or like with like, you know, like Frankenstein, where like, there's actually substantial thematic. Oh, yeah, it's really different. But yeah, no, I know. It's it's like, it's like, oh, I don't know. Like, was this is this word supposed to have an apostrophe after it or not? You know, that's and and, but people have serious fights about that kind of shit. You know, they do. Those people need a hobby, take up ping pong, do yeah. anything. <laughs> they need to uh, – yeah. Again, I just think it's like a specialist debate. It's it is. I, the perfect no. kind of thing of like, don't worry about it. Totally. Unless it's I think it, a I huge think it's boring deal. even if you are <laughs> – if you are the biggest James Joyce stan in the entire world and you care about what where the commas go. Yeah. Oh, I guess you would, wouldn't you? Okay. <laughs> I mean – People do. What can I say? Mm. I know. People do. All right. Here's the summary, which, okay, I'm I'm try. Uh, because the funny thing about the summary of this book is that there is like a one sentence version, like the ridiculously easy version. And then there's like the ridiculously difficult version. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to sort of hit in the middle, but um the short version is Leopold Bloom and Stephen Dudalus wander around Dublin. The end. Mm-hmm. I like that version. <laughs> I figured you would. Uh, so I'm going to sort of like try to try to do this by chapter or by section because it uh, begins in a pretty coherent points of view and then it devolves. So the first three chapters are from Stephen Dedalus's point of view and they narrate the early part of his day. They, it begins at 8 a.m. on June 16, June 16, I believe. If I'm wrong, that's fine. Uh, these two certainly don't care and our listeners probably don't Uh, so they're from Stephen Dudalus's point of view the first chapter is set in Sandy Cove Martello Tower with his friend Buck Mulligan Uh, although they're kind of not getting along at the moment there's all this there's all these issues of money around between them and also with their other roommates Um, Tristan says Buck Mulligan might be the best porn name Oh, it's great. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a fantastic uh, porn name. It's a fantastic porn name. Although, again, that would be a reference that would be like, good God, why? <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be good, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. like, again, I think The Producers is just an odd reference because that's such a goofball Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, so in the second chapter, Stephen is teaching a history lesson, and then he has a conversation with the headmaster. And then in the third, Stephen wanders along a beach, being a big cry sack. He thinks a lot about his mom, who has died, and also philosophy and stuff. And he's got a big, full galaxy brain. <laughs> uh, so in the fourth chapter, we transition to the point of view of Leopold Bloom. Uh, he has breakfast, which is a pork kidney, and I think that's gross, but Tristan disagrees. I mean, it's great. <laughs> Just got to wash it. Awful. Just got to wash it. <laughs> O-F-F-A-L. Um, I don't like Um, But he brings his wife breakfast in bed. His wife, her, her name is Molly, and we get a bunch of her later in the novel. Um, 
And then the chapter ends with his taking a shit, which for a long time, for a long time, or maybe it does. Maybe it ends with his bath. It's one of those things that you're like, that's kind of detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the fifth chapter, Bloom gets a letter from Martha Clifford, who's this woman he's been sexting with, but he's not fucking her. Uh, and then he stops into a Catholic church. He has some thought. He does again the sort of the galaxy brain thing that characters keep doing in this novel. He buys a bar of soap. And then in the sixth chapter, Bloom, Stephen Dudalus's father, Simon, and two other guys go to Patty Dignam's funeral. In the seventh book chapter, both Bloom and Stephen visit the Freeman's journal to play stories. And in the eighth, Bloom eats a sandwich and drinks a glass of wine. And Katie is angry that a person would eat a blue cheese sandwich. Also good. Yes. That's foul. That's disgusting. It's I disgusting. am allergic to blue cheese, so I don't have an opinion. But, but I, I, I tell people I'm allergic to blue cheese because <laughs> that's how much I hate that it. Fair. I don't know. You guys don't like organ meat or moldy cheese. I don't. I don't get this. <laughs> no, it's totally <laughs> again. It's like I don't have an opinion. I just can't eat it. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's that's fair. I just you know what's crazy to me now that you're summarizing this, I'm thinking like. What's my problem? Why don't I want to read a book about a guy eating a sandwich and buying soap? Why don't I want to hear about a funeral? Why don't I? What's wrong with me? This is a me thing. Oh, he went to the beach. That's cool. I love when galaxy brains go to the beach. The, uh, you were you were right. I was wrong. I take everything back. Mayor Pete, I want to offer you a formal apology. I'm very sorry. You get to live in book. his galaxy brain. It's just, it's like, I dig it. I'm wasting my own life to relive a bunch of Irish guys walking around. Yeah. And so much on the, on the soap. He does keep, he brings up the soap a lot. He does. He does. Um, it's ordinary. Ooh, this, I think the soap is melting in my pocket, but I'm not going to remove it for reasons that are completely opaque. A day, a day is full of micro of micro events. Write down all your event. thoughts. Not an event. Okay, like micro takings place. <laughs> the associative brain occurrences. It's trying to be like your mind. <laughs> I want to get out of there. <laughs> I don't like it there. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So I'm. He eats a sandwich. Cool. So we then move into the section where, like, the points of view start to get a little blurry. Uh, for me, the chapters begin to blend into each other until they sort of get um, narrative again in about chapter thirteen, which is the Nausicaa chapter, and we'll talk about it. But um, basically, in this group of chapters, Leopold Bloom looks at women's asses a lot. Stephen has pretentious thoughts, and then. Like 4,000 characters show up variously. There's 19 points of view, I think, in chapter 12, although I'm not positive. Uh, we get a bunch of historical figures. So just like people show up in this staging and they, they go in and out. So that's that's a hard part of the book, I think, because you can't track points of view, which is what sort of like is the anchoring uh, reading mechanism for me, in the Daedalus and Bloom and Molly chapters, that you like, I know whose head I'm in. And when you don't know whose head you're in, that's when shit gets hard. Yeah. I think. Yeah. And so that's worth, for me, really strongly signposting, like, what is really the, to the challenging moments. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that tracks for me, too. Mm-hmm. 
But then we get to chapter 13, which is Nausicaa, and it's the notorious chapter that we think got the book banned. Um, and that's a chapter about spanking it. Um, it's not the first one. Uh, <laughs> it's about this uh, girl. She's 17, Gertie McDowell. And her two friends are on the beach with her friend's three little brothers, and they're being uh, four-year-olds. They're being awful. Uh, Gertie is spacing out. She's having daydreams about boys like you do. And then Bloom is nearby leering. There's a point where one of them asks him for the time. So we get this, like, uh, we get a description of him as a figure in black, which we know is going to be Bloom. And then, then they say it explicitly. So she's aware of his looking and so she flashes him a bit of leg and he goes full dirty old man jerking off it's not in the bushes but it's in the bushes and then okay surprise like probably this isn't really happening like we actually think it's probably in bloom's head but um because i am just this kind of weirdo i think this chapter is kind of sweet but like also very gross uh because you get these mixed versions of like young girl naive sexuality and sort of like nostalgic old sexuality and when i say old i don't mean old i mean married uh which this book kind of is that's kind of old um and that's fine i feel old as a married person uh and that's where we stopped we stopped with uh the jerking off Mm -hmm. yes yeah so where we stopped okay so we uh (laughs) spoiler we have been texting a lot about how to talk about this really large book um so we let's figure out how to talk about the reading experience of it or its formal innovation why why is this book so hard i think that that's something that we got to get to well, and so I, you said something when you were doing the the summary, Megan, that I actually did. I was like, "Oh, right, I, I hadn't necessarily noticed that," but you're, but it's a hundred percent true. Where I find this to be like, I just I can't. I've read this page too many times. I just have to move on. Is those moments at which <laughs> uh, whose consciousness we're in becomes like very indeterminate, yeah. um, and and that so like. Like, I've heard this novel described as like kind of in in part about the process of thinking, um, which I do think is super interesting. Like, I, I, you know, and I'm not against stream of consciousness at all. Like, I love Faulkner. I love Toby Morris. What's that? Uh, Stream of consciousness, TM, William James. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, I I, I mean, and, and, but, but I think that like, what's so weird about parts of this to me is like, there's like a complete at like so a lot of stream of consciousness right it's like you're talking about non-linear narrative or you're talking about thoughts that are popping up into someone's head that like relate to previous moments that you don't really get you know that the relationship is indeterminate and like all that's super cool and i get there are chapters here where it's more like it's just like the wash of sensory data pouring over a subject that has no, like, even like unconscious attempt at like trying to pull that into a narrative, which I do think, I mean, like, yeah, we go through life and we, you know, in a very Lockean way, we receive all these impressions. But part of like what consciousness is doing is narrativizing all of that, right? Like, and, and, and that, yeah. it, and the novel just doesn't do that though, right? It's like, it, it parts. It's like, it, it does, it, it feels, and to me, the most frustrating passage is just like this wash of impressions that I don't quite see how they're relating to each other, you know? It it 
I mean, another way we could talk about this that we'll, I think we'll just do later is like, does it betray the form of the novel, which mm. we actually all three of us have a lot of familiarity with? And that's so that's another thought, right? Like, does it not do the thing the novel wants to do? Well, and, and I think it so it it is critiquing the form of the novel, right? I mean, like, and the, the, so the novel, as we've said on the show before, it develops as this realist kind of narrative technology, meaning it's really trying to get into like how an individual encounters the world in a psychological way. Um, and like, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the realist narrative, like it, it, it's a, it is a narrative. It is a recognizable narrative, which I think a lot of parts of Ulysses, uh, well, it's not that they're not narrative, but they're not narrative in that way. And yet like about like an individual psychology in the world, it absolutely is committed to that, you know? So it's like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, right. It's so committed it's like maximally to that. Yeah. So it, it like, it, it, crit- it, there, it critiques like what the novel does, but I do also think that it, it has another foot that is very much in like the tradition of the novel, if that makes sense. Totally. I agree. I mean, and I think it does. <sighs> It does everything that high modernism does in the sense that it's like associative. It moves between timescales, which is extremely difficult to track mm-hmm. because it happens in the middle of a line sometimes. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's like a thing Faulkner does too, right? Like he uh, sends you into another zone. But um, And maybe you guys disagree with this, but I do think that his characters are not exclusively or primarily thrown into uh, contemplation by a traumatic rupture, which is a huge, huge thing in modernism, Mm -hmm. is that you're like forcibly sent back into the repressed by, um, you know, being Benji, Benji Compson or whoever, who's like, you have this traumatic rupture and that's what sends you into the past. Or in his case, he's developmentally disabled. Yeah. Um, which we'll talk about that on a different episode, but, um, for James, it's different. James Joyce. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yes, I think that's right. Like pal, my buddy. Um, uh, there, yeah, there, there does seem to, that doesn't seem to be the primary driving factor of why you get like, you know, a self that looks like this very disjointed or in the past versus a self that is like, you know, kind of that has more of a sort of like narrative structure around it. But I think what, yeah, it, I want to go back though to the, like um, that thing of like where we're moving in and out of various characters' consciousnesses is like what one thing that it does is it even breaks down like the boundary of like what the self is, yes. right? Yes. Like, because that's the, like if this were all in like Leopold Bloom's head. Uh, like, and we knew every thought we were getting, no matter how fragmentary or whatever it is, was all happening within one person's consciousness. I feel like it would be a lot easier to kind of try to get your head around that. But it, it, it feels like it's making some claim to me, though, about like whether that's not the right way to read or whether uh, just that like, well, what happens if we don't think about like consciousness that way? If we actually think about like that, that if we problematize the barrier between individual subjects or maybe even get rid of that even as a concept, um, which I think is super interesting. I also as a reader find it deeply frustrating to try to get my head around. I agree with I agree with that for sure. But I also think like if we're gonna talk about Ulysses, it it's just so so if somebody's never read Ulysses before, it's like the experience is not just a puzzle of consciousness. It's like a it's like it's it's just like this high modernist shit. So like he talks about drinking and says, We'll have a glorious drunk to astonish the druidy druids. Mm-hmm. You know, so- <laughs> You don't think that's funny? I think the way that that's written is like so goofy. 
I, I'm not, like, I, I want to laugh. I'm an easy laugh. And I just, I, I'm not lolling. So, so, like, so there's this thing that's happening. So there's this thing that's happening. There's, like, he's taking a shit. He's talking about church. He's talking about every, every single figure that was in the Bible and fucking in the Odyssey. And there's just all this stuff, these weirdo chapters where he just says stuff like, what was their civilization? Vast, I allow, but vile. Cloaca, sewers, the Jews in the wilderness and on the mountaintop said, it is meat to be here. Let us build an altar to Jehovah. His cloacal obsession, it is meat to be here. Let us construct a water closet. And Pontius Pilate is its prophet. And Miles Crawford and I knew his wife too, the bloodiest old tartar God ever made by Jesus. She had the foot and mouth disease and no mistake. The night she threw the soup in the waiter's face in the star and garter. Oh. <laughs> like what? A woman brought sin into the world for Helen, the runaway wife of Menelaus, 10 years, the Greeks. Essay what? <laughs> <laughs> the cloacalypse. Right, because it doesn't, it doesn't follow, it doesn't follow a familiar logic and that fucks you fucks fucks you up i love like the first part of that quote where he's talking about like the cloacal obsession of like empire because and that's actually like a really like yeah. kind of scathing like critique of, of like the, the whole british narrative of like well you know we did build sewers in calcutta which i mean the, the british empire was super fucking into like the amount of like sewer pipe that it put in places and it's like but but like he doesn't stay with that then now that all of a sudden we're, right. we're in the, like the trojan war and it's like okay i i I actually really wanted you to follow through this like funny shit you were saying about like British imperial obsession with poop and sewers, yeah. you know, like, but also that, with like laying yes. an egg. So there's like a re- re- reproductive technology there too, because as soon as you say cloaca, you know that you're going in three directions, which mm-hmm. is like all the things that hole does. Yeah. Well, so you're right. like reproduction, like l- laying eggs in the British colonies, which I think is like actually kind of a clever. Mm hmm. It it no it is and so Megan yes so do I think so do I not think some of this is I find it amusing it is to to go back to Pride and Prejudice it is good to be amused <laughs> by a long ass book very by bad long... take on <laughs> I yes. think it joys, yeah but like yeah so you there I'm just I'm not I'm not reading this and like laughing my tits off. I just am not. I I uh okay. <laughs> the, I mean, if you are la- if you're laughing, that's gr- I'm very happy. I love I I just I love when when people are enjoying themselves. I think that's marvelous. <laughs> um and I do I think the cloaca thing is funny. Yes. Cloacas are absolutely funny. They're it's hilarious. No, yes. There's no two ways about it. Um but yeah, so it's just like it's confusing. It's like it's saying some cool shit. Uh it's like where am I and what am I doing? Whose brain am I in and like what part of history am mm-hmm. I in? It's very disorienting. It's like being on a a ship that is rocking to and fro. Tristan, if you want to talk about that for a while. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. You know, yeah, so there's just a lot going on. It's like that's part of what's intimidating about it is that it's not like we're reading a novel where there are a lot of historical allusions, but the plot is sort of straightforward and the writing style is sort of straightforward. And each sentence is a normal amount of words. Right. (laughs) Well, Well, Joyce is, I just want to like note this as a pin, which is he's explicit. He said, he says it'll keep the professors busy for centuries. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, tr- a troll. Yeah. It's a troll. Yeah. And, and which I am all for, like trolling the shit out of academics. <laughs> so, but uh, your 700 page novel. But um, no, like, uh, it's just, I said, you know, okay, this is about, like, it's a novel about thought. Sort of, but not real. Like, who's thought? Like, what does that right. even mean? Uh, like, the, you know, like, in, 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 as far as it actually, as, as Megan pointed out, the plot of it is actually quite simple. But like, then it almost doesn't matter what the plot is, because it's not actually about the plot. <laughs> like, uh, right. Well, and, and I just so I like part of like the frustration she really like because I you know I mean I'm I'm going to do my academic dork thing with it like there have been chapters where I'm like okay I'm going to look up each fucking illusion to see if I get it that doesn't really help me put it in order okay instead this page I'm just going to try to let wash over me that it, it, the effect is different but I you know I just don't I like I'm really struggling to figure out how the fuck you make sense of this, you know? Um, and I get that that's a point it, it, it is, is one of the points that the novel is making, but it's like, okay, well then what do I do with that point? I'm just not sure, you know, with the, with it does with like, I can't make sense of this. I just think that that's like, uh, this is why I sort of feel like read it, not read it stoned. Cause that's impossible, but read it with like a, like a fresh, as fresh a brain as possible because you can go to like, maybe this doesn't make sense. Or maybe I'm just like, with this guy as he's free associating. Mm-hmm. No, and that I, yeah. gives a sort of like, it communicates a sort of affect. And so for me that, that like the chapter that I turn to when I think about this, or if I was going to teach it is um, the, the chapter where they're at the funeral. Mm-hmm. While you're finding the page, I want to tell you that my dad used to do this thing where he would make up bad Jerry Seinfeld jokes. So, <laughs> So one was about a funeral, but he would say, why do they call it a funeral? It's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) That actually actually is a very bad. Yeah. Well done. He knows his genres. It is. But I also know it's definitely it is definitely like a bad like Seinfeld genre joke. But I also actually feel like if that joke were in the funeral chapter in this book, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's quite joycey. Like, you know, yeah, (laughs) I would fully buy it. So the chapter I'm looking at chapter six, and so we're reading the Gabler edition. Um, and this is page ninety one, mm-hmm. and so this is in Bloom's head, right? So like he's he's at the Patty Dignam's funeral. He's with these other guys, and he's 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 pensive, you know. He's he's thinking thoughts, and so um, he's talking about he's talking about a bunch of things. So. Um, we are praying now for the repose of his soul, hoping you're well and not in hell. Nice change of air out of the frying pan of life into the fire of purgatory. Does he ever think of the whole waiting for himself? They say you do when you shiver in the sun. Someone walking over it. Call boy's warning near you. Mine over there towards Finglas. The plot I bought. Mama, poor mama and little Rudy. The gravediggers took up their spades and flung heavy clods of clay in on the coffin. Mr. Bloom turned away his face. And if he was alive all the time, whew, by jingo, that would be awful. No, no, he's dead, of course. Of course he is dead. Monday he died. They ought to have some law to pierce the heart and make sure, or an electric clock or a telephone in the coffin, or some kind of canvas air hole. Flag of distress. Three days. Rather long to keep them in summer. Just as well to get shut out of them as soon as you are sure there's no. 
The clay fell softer, begin to be forgotten, out of sight, out of mind. So what he's doing here is this associative play where he's talking about like uh the he's talking about his own mortality. He's talking about his son Rudy who has died and then he's often talking in that chapter about his father who has committed suicide. So if one of the sort of thematic problems that we're tracking is fathers and sons, which we actually should that's just something that I think is relatively obvious here because of the uh you the Odysseus and Telemachus story that we're following. Uh and so his like moving in and out of scales is a good moment that I think you can track both characterization and implotment mm-hmm. or or th- or thought, right? Like yeah. how he moves through his thinking there is something that you can you can pay you can attend to and make sense of it mm-hmm. because there are parts that are you can attend to and make sense of, and then there are parts that you fucking can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but because it's in Bloom's head, yeah. And just in Bloom's head, right. that's much Could, easier. Yeah, yeah. So that's one um, of the chapters that I love. I've never taught this, but if I did, I one of the places that I would start is there because you're just like you're with Bloom and you're getting these thematic pictures that we should be paying attention to. And it's and he's associating, but he's associating on something that I think is familiar to most readers, right? Which is like being at a funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so here's the thing. This chapter, so I'm going to do my edit of Ulysses. This chapter can stay <laughs> because it is okay. So this is funny that he's thinking about um the way of he's like, "Oh, what if they buried somebody alive?" Because that's a classic right, like, like here's okay, things so, you could do yeah. if they like I yeah. wish there was a phone yes. in the coffin. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it belongs to a genre of thought uh, that we can think of as backyard thoughts, which are like <laughs> things you talk about like after everyone else has left the barbecue and you're around the fire pit trying to solve problems that really don't <laughs> exist. Like, right. what, you know, it's not like people are buried alive all the time. You know, like, yeah. so, so there's like backyard thought, but there's also this thing of like the, he's like thinking about these serious things, like the death by suicide of his father and his son's death. And so his, and his friends are also like, yikes don't mention that kind of thing because he it's rude to talk about Mm. um they have like a his friends have like this pretty insensitive discussion about suicide which is like pretty much like oh yeah people say that shit today Mm. um there's just a lot of shit happening um There's a bunch of fucking Latin. Yes. There's a quote oh, yeah. from Robinson Crusoe on the previous yeah, page. Yeah, there is. Like, or no, it's not. It's not a, it's just, it's a it's rhyme about, about Robinson Crusoe. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, poor Robinson Crusoe. How could you possibly do so? Which, that's all right. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I think the rhymes also often crack me up because some of them are like weird little, um, yeah. They're like limericks. No, I, actually, I, I just said that uh, what uh, that is very Byronic. Uh, to me. It's like a romanticist. Like like one thing that <laughs> huh. one thing that Byron uh, will do all the time, which I think is hilarious. And I was trying to kind of hold on to that for like no, like this is a familiar kind of thing to you. Is uh, he'll he'll do like this really? I think like Don, Don Juan, and yes, that is how it's pronounced because British people ref- refuse to adopt the pronunciation of any <laughs> other country. But so like it, it's this like really kind of beautiful poetry and then byron will be like he was a poet didn't know it and it's like yeah i mean he just like, he just like <laughs> no, totally. 
bit of like high reflective mood as Ulysses often does, you know, it, and then, but then just punctures it with like a poop joke or like right. an extremely intentionally bad rhyme. Um, so I, I did appreciate that a lot about this book. Well, and you bring up this interesting thing, Katie, that I think is also like, this is about the reading technology of the book is that like, I got it. I was wrong, Tristan. You texted me and said, what should I know before I read this? And I said the Old and New Testaments and um, <laughs> the Odyssey, the Odyssey which Odyssey. I still think is true. Yeah. But I think that the sort of like next level down is that it helps to know a bit about Irish history mm-hmm. and it helps to know some Latin. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, there's this next level down where it's like, oh, do you know all of Irish literature? Also, all of English literature helps. Do you speak Italian and French? Yeah. Um, just Hamlet. You just need to know Hamlet. Hamlet is one. really useful, actually. There's yeah. a ton of Hamlet stuff, especially because Stephen has this w- weird relationship with his uncle. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so oh, ha- oh. Uh, uh, Hamlet's useful, but uh, Robinson Crusoe joke. So, like, there's all, it's like any modernist elusive prose. Like, you get 10 levels, and at 10, mm-hmm. it's just like Nora understands that joke and nobody else. Also, do, do you do you know enough uh, German to get why when in chapter 12, he writes as a name, National Gymnasium Museum Sanatorium at Super Ensorium, Ordinary Private Doctor, General History Special Professor Dr. Kriegfried Ubergelman, uh, that that's funny because that's how German is put together. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh, boy. It's a laugh and a half. Yeah, I I mean, it's a very high degree of expectation, but you can also like take a giant step back and be like, maybe this is supposed to piss you off. Like, my sister has this story about uh, reading, I think, Tender Buttons, but I'm not positive. Maybe uh, Blood on the Dance Room Floor, Uh, whatever the Gertrude Stein book is. uh, She was like, I got halfway through it and I was like, I'm going to fucking throw this thing across the room. Mm Mm-hmm. Because it pisses you off. And that's part of its project. Yeah. That James Joyce... People are annoying. People are annoying. People's, the inside of people's heads is particularly annoying. Yeah. Yeah. What I... what I A difference that I, I find with what Joyce is doing with a kind of like stream of consciousness loosely defined is that usually what I see someone employing that doing is thinking about the boundary where like the unconscious meets the the conscious. Yes, that and, is like the hallmark of this book. Yes, but unlike but I actually think that this book is much more plunged into some representation of the unconscious itself, right? And like like you know, I mean we know from Freud that like the unconsciousness is like so much bigger than the conscious uh, uh mind. It has like all of this shit that just you don't even know what to do with. And I feel like a lot of stream of consciousness novels are trying to like get into that, but then put it back into some kind of order. Whereas I don't think Ulysses is. I think Ulysses a lot of times is just fully ripping consciousness off of the mess, um, which I think is super interesting. Like I'm really into that, but I also think that that's like, it's, it's, it is really part of what makes it such of a challenging read. Well, and like part of say Freud and certainly part of Lacan is trying to sort of like, uh, give shape to something like you can you can with a certain like set of tools in the talking cure give some narration to the unconscious mm-hmm. um but i think other people joyce included would be like the unconscious is not narratable and yeah. so it's mm-hmm. it's it's um associative it's sedimented yeah. and so what you're doing is sort of like 
moving among these layers that characterize the unconscious, but that's not really narrative. And so that like, this is where I think Tristan, the test of like, is this a novel or not, both like succeeds and fails, Mm -hmm. right? Because it can't be implotted. It's anti-plot. Well, yeah. And and when we say fails too, I want to be clear that I don't like, I think that that is part of the point, right? It's not like I think the joys of not- I totally agree. He's he's not doing what he set out to do. I think he very much is, but it's just that like, yeah. Yeah. And right. And that's kind of beautiful too, like narrating or like pointing out the unnarratability of the unnarratable is like- that's something this is doing, right? <laughs> like, right, and it's yeah. also it's making fun of the novel, but I think that we cannot miss the fact that it's also making fun of the epic, yeah, which is yeah, big, fucking scale. It's off. I actually I find the Odyssey often also really funny. Yeah, it is, uh, and but it's like it's big scale. It's about the heroic mm-hmm. character. It's about the the drama of a son having a father, which I would, which I would very strongly say is like the drama of that and the drama of this too. And so what Joyce is doing is like anti-epic while he's, while we're sorting through this, this, uh, something that's much more recognizable, right? So like we recognize the, the novel we're expected as readers to recognize the epic yes and and that i i that part of it i am like a hundred percent on board with and and i'm really enjoying like what happens if you make this giant sprawling thing about sailing around the mediterranean about one fucking day doing a bunch of boring shit in like one city uh what happens if you put uh, you know you put odysseus in the toilet you know (laughs) like what like like start off with like how much he loves to eat kidneys and stuff like that's that is really great stuff i love that yeah and he does do i mean i think that like uh he's he's so poking holes in the novel form on purpose that it's like does he need it does he need all this cloaca stuff and all this like (laughs) doo-doo or boners and to me it's like the cytology chapter in moby dick like you're a bad reader if you think that melville is not doing that on purpose as a challenge to the novel yeah yeah, he's being totally being annoying. Yeah, it's like, yes. So there's this joke, uh, I think it's like a Pete Holmes joke where he's like, oh, you know that like everyone in history had diarrhea. So like, you know that Jesus had so much diarrhea. Right. And it's no, and it's not in the Bible at all. <laughs> but like, you just know that he was out there in the desert having mad diarrhea. And so like, this is actually like, this is like, the, this is like the Odyssey. So like, that's a way of like adding the diarrhea that's totally. always already present yes. in, the, you know, it's like, yeah, of course, like, it, it's, if it's a bit, yeah, because it's like the idea is that Jesus was fully man. And if Jesus was fully man, he would have had to have diarrhea. Yes. Because that's part of the human experience. It's like, this is like that kind of to me. It's like making salient the diarrhea within us all. I mean, I think that that's like a very correct yeah. way to read this. Yeah. And again, it's like, is it fair to expect that somebody who reads this is tracking the Odyssey and the sort of the novel simultaneously? And I'm like, well, of all the things, you know, it's not like if you miss the Robinson Crusoe line, you're not fucked. Mm-hmm. But you're kind of fucked as a reader if you haven't read the Odyssey. Right. Like, sorry. Well, you're only ever going to get like 
I actually don't think that's true because if you've read the, I think like you could get, okay, you're only, any human being is only going to get 30% of this. And so if your 30% is different, like if you're a real, if you're a real Hamlet head, <laughs> but you haven't read the Odyssey, yeah. you could still, and if you know, if you know about like Hamlet and Irish history, but you don't know about the Odyssey, you can still get pretty yeah. fucking far with yeah. this. That's fair. I think that there are readers, I think that there are echelons of understanding though. Yeah. Yeah, I think you can get higher than thirty percent, but I think you have to like spend a lot of time with it. And who has the energy? Right, you can't get beyond thirty percent of it knowing what you regularly know in your regular life the first time you come to it without being prepared. I think that's a hundred percent true. I think like you do better the second time and then the third because you're like not looking for the point, the parts where things add up. Right. Yeah, and if you want to be a giant dork and a tryhard, you can get more, and that's fine. <laughs> I support that endeavor. I do it myself often, but like, yes. I mean, yeah, um, like if I I think that reading this really closely over and over again is total dork and, and tryhard. Yeah. Yeah, but but it's but you can get like it's not like oh it's impossible, but you just you can't as a regular ass human. Yeah. yeah, but I do. I will say that like this is my this is like the weirdest PSA is that like a regular ass human can read this you just have to get that like you're gonna fail at parts of it and i think that that's the thing that pissed me off so much in early graduate school is that i thought it was just for smart people yeah you also yeah and i think you also too have to like be willing to um adjust your you're just like reading habits and expectations like i mean and i think that's the thing that i like i really like because i view like all literature kind of as a puzzle like and i really want to figure it out and that like you know i mean there's no there's no one missing puzzle piece here you can't but i will say you can do the edges first yes no totally totally (laughs) um you know you can't just look for the points of view of like bloom and daedalus yeah and molly yeah and then you're like i got the edge but then it's still like oh man um and then I took a shit in the middle right, and I finished kind it. Of, yeah. Oh, but I was going to say something just before we move yeah, yeah, on sure, from sure. like, what do you need before you, what do you need before you read? Uh, is that I think the reason I also like this is because at the time in my life, I was reading a lot of like Wolf and Elizabeth Bowen uh-huh. and Faulkner uh-huh. and like, uh, I don't know if his name is pronounced Jean or Jean. Tumor, who wrote Kane, which is a, just an amazing piece of writing. Uh, so I was like, I had a strong modernism muscle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a- it's like a cloaca. It's like the, a, your modernism muscle is right where your cloaca is. Yeah, totally. It just allows me to like dump um, ec- body no. body excrement over every, the, every part I, of my home. I think that is to like- Really, sort of having and having intuited like uh, a sort of like uh, grammar of the style, uh, I, I think is is really helpful. Um, um, I mean, it, it seems like yeah, it seems like that that would be a good reading list around around this novel because you don't get nearly so troubled by where it goes off the skids. Yeah, yeah, and so that's just like, I mean. I I also say that to like a given reader who's like, well, I've never read any modernism whatsoever, and so it's like, you're that just means that it it helps a lot to have some practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you can let it wash over you like a fucking waterfall. Yeah, yeah you can yeah. have word bath, like you're mm-hmm. fine. But yeah. you know, I that's I've made this point before about 18th century novels that it's like if I hadn't read uh if I hadn't read a couple 18th century novels, I'd be fucked by. Tristram Shandy. Mm, yes. Yeah. No. Ab- th- that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. I'd be like, "What in the ever loving fuck are you fucking talking mm-hmm. about, you crazy ass man?" Mm-hmm. 
But if you have some other and, yeah. shit, it's fine. No, I, I, no, that yes, that's absolutely right. Um, that's absolutely right. And I think one of the challenges, like Joyce, has just like read so much stuff that, like, yes, partially he's referencing other more modernists. Partially he's referencing like Irish, like Irish historical epics yep. and stuff. You know, like. Um, but anyway, so tell us about that stuff. I don't know what a given person knows. Yeah. Katie, you might also know a lot about this, but I don't know. Like, how universal is this? I don't, we have to think about like what kind of reader knows a lot about Irish history. Yeah. Yeah. And Tristan. Well, well, Tristan does know a lot about Irish history, but like, uh, I don't know. I'm a pretty smart person, but I don't know anything about it. So here's the thing, though. It's like it, it, it is the, like Irish history is here, but in a very active sense, because like this is this comes out right in the middle of a decade of kind of like escalating violence that ultimately ended with, um, you know, home rule, like uh, Ireland separated off from the British Empire, which then spawned the Irish Civil War between people who were like, basically wanted a full republic and who were fine with this kind of free state arrangement where it, was to, it still had like a, allegiance to London. But anyway, yeah. And like, what's so the this, year? What's that? So, I, okay. Can so, you just give us touchstones? Yes. Because there is going to be a gap between when Joyce thinks this takes, when yes. Joyce articulates that this is taking place versus when it was written. So this is set in 1904, which is kind of at like a lot. Well, I mean, not a lot. There was the whole 19th century. There was a lot of kind of like rising sort of nationalist movements. Um, but but it is it is kind of. I, I guess I would you know, and I, people will probably say this is way too reductive. But the like the first decade of the 20th century is kind of a lull before the storm. Um, so the, uh, it, in there are a lot. There are a few big events, but like um, in 1916, right in the middle of the uh, of, of World War One. There's the event called the Easter Rising, which was uh, which, which was a revolutionary event in in in, in Dublin. Um, it was it was suppressed by the the British government, uh, and uh, you know a lot of the the, the revolutionary leaders were executed. Um, but that was just kind of the the, the touch, you know, just one kind of event um, in a rolling series of events that ultimately led in 1922 to an independent Ireland, the Irish Free State. Um, uh, and 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 so Joyce is writing, this is coming out in 1918 to like 1920, right? Uh, like right in the middle of this kind of revolutionary struggle. So like Irish history, like there is Irish history, like all this shit is, that's happened in Ireland, like with the colonialism and, and prior, but there's also like, this is an active revolution that is in the process of happening. Um, the novel is definitely like uh, into that, but... <laughs> It also, I, I don't know, it's just like, it, it's, it's, it is part of its weirdness to me is that it is like such an abstract kind of experiment dealing with something that is a very real world, like present moment historical uh, turmoil, if that makes sense. I mean, I have like a lot of Stephen Dedalus associative thoughts here. Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess the first is, does it matter that Joyce is like a fellow traveler? He's sort of like a socialist. Mm -hmm. Like he went to meetings and stuff, but mm -hmm. he's not um he's not Emma Goldman. But uh so that's the question. Like, does his political point of view matter? And then the second one is like, but but modernism is already a post-war meet form. Yes, it is. I mean, and it's post it's post World War One. But I guess like what is weird to me is that like that the events the events of uh, of of well no again Ulysses is set before before the events but like the right. moment it's being composed 
it's like, it's not post anything. It's like right in the middle of, um, and I also like it, it is, it's definitely very critical of empire, but it's also manages to be critical of like Irish nationalism too. So it's, I, I don't think it's, 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 it's definitely not like an, uh, like a kind of a programmatic work where it's like what, what it's setting out to do is make this very kind of like arch Republican sort of case. Um, but yeah. Well, and it's not that, that 12, which is a very difficult chapter what it's not doing is like uh so I'm going to do a preview for Native Son. It's not doing the last 100 pages of Native Son which is just like a screed. No. No, yeah. And so right in chapter 12 we're introduced to this character called the citizen who um you know, I just in that name, he's uh, you know, obviously kind of an arch republican, but he like his nationalism is so like right-wing and limiting. Like he really right. like he's really pissed off at Leopold Bloom as Jewish because he does not see that as like a recognizable position in the Irish state. He he's he's super right. into like the state as the Irish state is like a, a state of like ethnic purity and that part of like the like for him the violence of British imperialism has been like robbing that kind of ethnic purity um so that's a character we can we could really talk about um but i actually this whole thing in the book of like ireland doesn't have a jewish problem because we never let them in yes yes that's like a joke at the very yeah Yeah, it's a joke that it's a joke that the headmaster makes to steven who who is under who is absolutely not anti-semitic but nor is he sort of like injured in the way that bloom is by this yeah yeah but I think so if we're if if we do talk about that and Tristan I think you also it, this goes along with what you're saying too is the thing that's going on with like Irish identity and the presence of the English that has everything to do with Catholicism and Protestantism. And this novel takes up um even though th- we have a major major character who's Jewish in a way, this novel takes up like a very Catholic point mm-hmm. of view. Oh, yeah. In addition to all these other, so there's a ton of stuff about like, there's a ton of stuff about like chakras and what they do and like mm-hmm. all this, all this other. So it's like very religiously like mixed and it has to do with the history of Ireland. It also has to do with like James Joyce being who he is. And so there's just, just, there's a lot like that's embedded yes. there. But I did want to, I did want to flag at least the Catholic Protestant. Uh, like the Abrahamic religions yes. and their offshoots. Yeah, and, well, and I think you have you can give us some detail, but just as a sort of which is I think what I'm saying is an aside is that one of the reasons that we get the the meal so early is that we know that Bloom is not a Jewish, not a religious Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's a um, you know, I hate to use the expression cultural identity because I find that that's utterly nonspecific and uh and odd but and also he's a he's a not a person he's a word body so he doesn't have identity that's not how it works but like uh his jewishness is much more about the sort of like the aligning um odysseus Mm -hmm. with the ongoing literary tradition of the wandering jew right right Mm right which is about a a, that's about a figure the wandering jew more than it is about like he is he this book is not invested in some like rich Midrash about like 
Judaism. No, 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 and yeah, I mean, so the, like, right, the, the literary trope, the t- t- historical trope of the wandering Jew, um, but but also like his his outsiderness and like trying to yeah. think oh, of yes. like what, yes, it, yes. but like trying to like rethink that as like an outsiderness that can be constitutive of something, um, and like yeah, that that chapter twelve moment, uh, the citizen asks Bloom, like, "What is your nation?" If I may ask, uh, and Bloom responds, "Ireland. I was born here, Ireland." Uh, which yes. the citizens like, nope, but it's like, but Bloom is like mm-hmm. well yeah fuck you <laughs> like that's and that's like where we get that yeah. moment where he's like oh he's not irish he's hungarian which is like what the fuck are you even on no, like totally. that's, that's a ridiculous <laughs> that's a ridiculous thing to say i also love bloom earlier in the catholic church where he's like do they chew on the host yeah. <laughs> yes, yes yeah well yeah no it's the exact same. yeah so it's the same thing actually it's like it's like you have this guy the citizen being like I'm the one who decides the insides and outsides. And then you also like, you do have like, you do have, especially in Catholic church, like you do have the, it's a mediated relationship. Like you do have like the, I decide who's inside outside in a way that's much different than if you're like Protestant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No. And I'm, and I'm glad you, the, the the Catholicism um, is, is, is super important. Um, and uh and yeah i know like we, we actually i think have a lot of threads to pursue for 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 next time um i, I would just say that, that like so yeah so like i mean uh I, catholicism by the 20th century had certainly become much more associated with the question of irish independence like kind of to be a republican was to be a catholic and vice versa earlier that like the, the first like um well it's not the first i mean the, the irish irish stru- revolts and struggles against the, the the english uh go back you know many centuries but like one uh, a big actually so the event that precipitated Ireland being brought into the United Kingdom with the 1800 Act of Union was a revolt by this group called the United Irishmen, um, who were largely Protestants. Like Wolf Tone was an Irish Protestant. Um, the Ir- the original kind of like, or the earlier sort of like Irish, like Protestant Republicans were not touching the religious question at all and very, and looked very, very much down on the Catholic peasantry by, by the time of, 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 uh, uh, of like the, the Easter rising though, that it completely flipped like Catholicism and Republicanism were like deeply kind of, um, integral to each other. Um, gotcha. 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 That's really interesting. I didn't actually know. I didn't know that. I sort of knew like where we ended up and not where, how yeah. we got there. <laughs> um, right. I know about the Easter rising, but I don't know much about, you know, it's like that, that very unfortunate way we learn about history, which is like, I mark dates. Like, yeah. I know some dates, yeah. but that's like it, you know, yeah. like that's unfortunate, but it is the thing that we think about. But um, no, totally. And and, and I know, I know we, I know we uh, probably have to uh, put a period on this episode soon, but I did just want to point to this one passage in the first chapter um, where it, like it stayed, it, like it explicitly to me stages some of these questions. So this is the chapter where we have Buck Mulligan, the, the porn star, Stephen um, and Haynes, who's this English guy that Buck Mulligan has invited to, to stay. The, who Stephen who hates. Who Stephen fucking hates. <laughs> and uh, and it, it's interesting because it's like, this is, this is a short passage that managed to me to be equally equally critical of the English uh, Catholic uh, Catholicism and sort of Ireland itself. Um, Tell us where we are again. I'm sorry. This, I'm is in, but this is in the very first chapter. So page 17 of the Gabler edition. Got it. Um and so, and, and so the, part of this, there's this running kind of contention between, between Buck Mulligan and Stephen Daedalus, where Buck Mulligan's like, y- you know, you would be a good writer if you weren't such a fucking Catholic. Like, that's like limited. <laughs> right. He's not 
I mean, he's a he's a very troubled Catholic. Yes, totally, totally. This is not like a true believer. Totally. Um, so, okay, so Stephen says, I am a servant of two masters, Stephen said, an English and an Italian. Italian, Haynes said, a crazy queen old and jealous, kneel down before me. And a third, Stephen said, there is who wants me for odd jobs. Italian, Haynes said again, what do you mean? The imperial state, Stephen answered, his color rising, and the holy Roman Catholic and apostolic church. Haynes detached from his underflip some fibers of tobacco before he spoke. I can quite understand that, he said calmly. An Irishman must think like that, I dare say. We feel in England that we have treated you rather unfairly. It seems history is to blame. <laughs> Just like, uh, I know, I mean, obviously why Stephen hates, uh, hates that guy. But, you know, but yeah, okay, history is this active thing. Also, like, it, it, it is, yeah, like the Italian master, the Catholic Church, it is not happy about. Um, it, it's also not happy about, like, though, I, I don't know. It's, it's like, it's not happy about the British, and it doesn't seem to be particularly happy about the Irish either you know <laughs> well it's certainly not happy about that national boundary that demands that that our like true believer the citizen yeah. would ask leopold bloom what his country is no no or what's your nation which of course is not actually the same no no because he's not at all a man without a country no he's a wanderer which is not the same no he's many he's many <laughs> he's many he's um but he's not in the he's not in the sort of like faith drama. He doesn't have that, and Stephen does. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so hey, Katie, in our last little bit here, what are we talking about? Okay, well, even though I made my feelings about Mayor Pete known <laughs> to you all, nobody objects. We're, 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 fine. we're all on board. Yeah. But I think that what happened to Mayor Pete is a sort of classic thing, which is you get caught off guard by a question and you make something up because it's like the like he had he had had Ulysses in his bathroom. He was asked the question. He made up an answer because it was the only book he could think of in his mind. It was in his and, uh, it was it line of vision. Yes, and so exactly, and so so he he sort of I'm in my mind palace and Mayor Pete's there too. And he's made this up because who, who among us hasn't made something up on the spot when you just got stuck to sound like either credible or impressive, and then you have to keep giving that mm-hmm. answer. Or non-embarrassing mm-hmm. or something. Yes. And so my classic example of m- my Ulysses, actually, is this time when I really wanted to quit a job, and I couldn't think of a good reason, so I told my boss that I was moving to Canada indefinitely, <laughs> oh, and then I just no. had to stick with nice. it. Nice. Nice. Yeah, and actually, like this is a, this is like my this is a my dad cast now. But um, he my dad came in one day, and the my because I was seventeen years old at the time, and so my boss was like, "Oh, so Katie's going to Canada?" And my dad, to his eternal credit, was just like, "Yep, go to Canada. <laughs> <laughs> nice, <laughs> yep, gotta nice. go. Bye." <laughs> just a full oh, ass. That's yes awesome. And. That's awesome. That you know, yeah, you know that like even my very kind dad would never roll. As quickly as that. No, oh no, my my parents oh, would no, be like, "What like- do you mean? No, Tristan is right here. He's not." <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? She's napping in my basement yeah, right now. Yeah. No, it's just like yeah, he just like fully like yeah, no, she can't come to the phone right now because she was <laughs> like, yeah, no, like yeah, <laughs> awesome. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay. So 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 now that you're here, a liar. 
So I think he's a liar, but I think he's a liar for a fair enough reason, which is once you yeah. say it once, you can't yeah. be like, I changed my mind about what my favorite book yeah. was because everyone roasted mm-hmm. me so right. hard. Um, so anyway, what I was hoping we could do is just sort of like, okay, so you two are the, you are going to be the Democratic presidential nominee, depending on how you answer these okay. questions. Okay. And so with that frame of mind, I want to ask you about some of your favorite things. And I'm going to ask you about three of your favorite things. And um, and just so at the end, we're going to guess which ones are real and which ones you made up to sound okay. fancy. Yep. Okay. Okay. So the first one is for both for both candidates. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite television show? What's your favorite television show? Well, I like the news because I am, you know, the news is important. Uh, and, and we have a president who doesn't, who do, he talks about fake news, but, but I like the real news. Okay. <laughs> and uh, also to be clear, the, 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 the democratic nomination we're envisioning is that the party is going to nominate some shitty neoliberal, not that they're going to nominate an awesome socialist. That's like what we're working with here, right? You're doing okay. a bait and switch. <laughs> okay. So you're going <laughs> to, okay. Yeah. So this is this is a this is a deep state conspiracy okay. that we're all right. Doing I'm going to Manchurian candidate at the Democratic uh, uh, convention, but uh, okay, but yeah. yeah so no, because I I really like the news and the news is important and also as a good liberal, I like to hear both sides, particularly when it's presented <laughs> in an awesome way by Herbert Hoover Hoover's granddaughter. Um, so I'm going to say the reboot of Firing Line not as awesome as if the King reasonable conservative who had a segregationist fucking magazine uh william f buckley were running it but you know the margaret hoover reboot is it, it's good it, it exposes me to both sides both sides and i'm down for that <laughs> oh that sounds like a very fair and balanced <laughs> it, it, answer. that's what i aim for is, is balance yeah i think that that really um it goes along with my deep and abiding love of rachel maddow <laughs> And the attention that she has paid without ceasing to uh, the the Russian uh, crisis. Oh, it's it, it, the most serious uh, national security event of all time. The most serious national security event, and uh, and that's where I've landed. You know, I just I think that the news should pay as much attention as possible <laughs> to uh, to Cold War era characterized dramas. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. These are two worthy nominees here. Uh, making sure that the alphabet doesn't look weird after Russians take us over and making sure that we learn both yes, sides. Totally. Yeah. Okay. So here's your next question. Uh, what's your favorite candy? What's your favorite candy? Um, I like – And I'm, I'm trying to speak as a, as a representative – running for the democratic nomination yes you want to be president of the united states tell me what your favorite candy is and be careful because it's a minefield i mean am i going to be joe biden and say that ice cream is my favorite candy because (laughs) it's like kale uh, (laughs) kale uh, (laughs) because it's like in the same group of dessert but not, in fact, candy? Yeah, say that. 
I see the blood shooting out your eyes, nose, mouth, ears. Yeah, my favorite candy is ice yelp. cream. <clears throat> so even when I am I am getting my candy fix, I also like to try to be healthy. And they put vitamin C in Starburst, uh, so that's what I'm going go. with. Ascorbic acid. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You're both very presidential. <laughs> okay. Candidates, nominees, whoever the <laughs> fuck you are. Um uh other the the final question I have for you is the same question Mayor Peek got. What is your favorite book? <sighs> Be electable. Oh my god. Right, because he got extra burned for saying Ulysses. So, you know, I could go full liberal orthodoxy and Harry Potter is the only book that's ever been written. <gasps> so I could say that. I could say that. But I also want some cool cred, right? Because I'm like, you know, I'm like a Beto type man. And like, I read, I don't like kid stuff is beneath me. So like, I'm just say anything. David Foster Wallace, love that guy so much. He's like a total stan. Love how he has three, three names. It's great. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go fully middle Amy Klobuchar and say, you know, all of the Bob Woodward presidential biographies. <laughs> oh my God. It's awesome. It's so good. Wow. Okay. <laughs> That's, so good. That's I like it. I like it. This is good. This is very good. Um, so okay, so before we sort of decide the winner, what I actually want to say is that um you're both winners to me. <laughs> and I'm going to vote blue no matter who, and I would be really happy with a ticket that was either one of you in the presidential or vice presidential position. I don't even care where. Switch it around. Okay. Make it fun. Okay. Mix it up. Maybe like maybe you can be president for two years, and um, you know, then the other one of you can be president for two years, and that would be cool. Like do something new and fun. They're really going to love fresh. it when I nationalize the university. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that – Keep it yeah, sexy. and by nationalize the university, what you actually mean is give a hundred billion dollars to the health insurance industry, right? Because that's that's that that would be oh, yeah. odd, Brad, for Democratic presidents. <laughs> totally. I mean, I would start yeah. with uh, Princeton. Yeah, yeah, the greatest. Yes, Princeton University, the finest <laughs> university for all people named named Winifred <laughs> Ebenezer the Fifteenth. My beautiful son and my lovely yeah. other son augustus ploppington yeah, the 52nd they are excellent augustus the 52nd is the coxswain this year <laughs> and truly no coxswain has represented princeton better my beautiful feather light son sits at the very tippy tip First chairman of the Croquet Society. (laughs) (laughs) We play with real flamingos like in the Alice in Wonderland cartoon. You're getting nationalized Princeton University. Yeah, Yeah, we're we're nationalizing everything. We just got to talk like neoliberals so we don't scare them until we mention that shit. (laughs) The problem isn't really capital. The problem is how it's managed. Yes. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> reform reform capital. Yes. Reform capital by abolishing it. Sorry, I said the said the quiet part loud. Yeah, you <laughs> sure did. Well, I think that it's totally um 
unnecessary to play the part of the game, which is a which one, if any, is a lie, because clearly, except for maybe if your favorite candy is Starburst, Tristan. Yeah, no, that is. That's 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 the truth. Oh, that's the truth. Okay, so. <laughs> I guess I also want to say that, like, I legitimately love everything that ice cream has ever written yeah i would read all of yeah. ice cream's yeah. books yes. yes yeah and i also love candy so it's not like yeah. i it's not as though those things can really be separated those it's sincere that i love ice cream and candy yeah yeah i once also got a text from katie that said i just ate an all candy dinner and i've never felt so alive <laughs> that sounds right <laughs> that sounds that's that must be another Katie. No, <laughs> actually, never mind. I would. I would that. Never. Uh, okay, so yes, we were not an honest people here, <laughs> but you really inspired a nation. Do you think somebody would legitimately say Bob Woodward's books? I think they. Oh would. yeah, and Amy Klobuchar would be the one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she likes to beat her staff <laughs> with them. They're big. Allegedly. They're big fat books, Allegedly. <laughs> like you could really yeah. like, even though Katie, I think that you think that Pete Buttigieg uses two copies of the Ulysses as his squad of potty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's something to do with this thing after it's we're a done big here. book. I have two copies. <laughs> yeah. You get to get your knees above your ass. <laughs> yeah. As they, I mean, they, they say that that is the case. I don't have one, but, uh, th- but it's good for you or something. This is a very Joyce. Like he would approve of this device. What, you don't have knees or an asshole? <laughs> I don't have a squatty <laughs> uh, So, thank you. As ever, this is enlightening and truly as revealing of the Democratic Party's candidates as it is of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> beautiful. It's beautiful. So, this has been Better Than Dead. First half of Ulysses. Tune in for our second episode probably just as bonkers <laughs> but you can find tristan on twitter at tj schweiger you can find katie on twitter at katie crywo you can find me on twitter at tusslersaurus you can find the show on twitter and instagram at better red pod r-e-a-d and email us at better red podcast at gmail.com to vote on the major question of this episode which is is this novel awesome or does it suck (laughs) and i think you know who you're gonna be trying to impress (laughs) so yeah um our intro song is love bronstein by the redskins and used with their permission our logo and all visual materials created by jane bonsack of jb design and content rate us review subscribe enjoy tell your mom even though it'll be your mom's least favorite nsfw book podcast <laughs> in coming episodes we are talking about rob roy possibly drinking rob roy's while we read it <laughs> we'll be talking about native son and um for the holidays we will be reading a christmas carol and watching the movies it's going to be great thank you thank you